Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Join us today as we explore the word-giving, insightful solutions for day-to-day living. We pray this message encourages you throughout your day. You can also visit www.thrivechurch.me. Now, on to today's message. Well, happy Easter Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? Oh, some of you guys are doing okay, some aren't sure. Man, good to be with you guys today. Uh, we are celebrating, this is cool, with millions of other believers and hundreds of thousands of churches across the globe. We are celebrating Easter together today. Isn't that cool to think about? You're part of something bigger than just this church service or this church, but we're all celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And so today, if you're um, here with us, go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to Luke 24, 1, Luke uh, 24, verse 1. And I want to talk to you today about the tomb is empty, so what? The tomb is empty, so what? Very fitting for Easter, right? Um, my wife got me on this weight loss kick. It was, um, you know, probably 18 months ago. And I don't like diets. I love to eat food. Um, I don't feel any foodies in the house, but that's how I am. And when she uh, come back with, like, from the doctor about what you need to do, is all about protein, protein, protein. I'm like, really? Like, should I just be eating salads all the time to lose weight? Why does protein matter so much? Like, what's the big deal about protein? She's like, well, you're going to have 30 grams here, and first thing in the morning, and 30 grams here in your body. And she uses all these doctor terms that I don't know. So, like, I'm not going to use these terms, but how your body processes protein and why it needs protein. And then I was like, you know what? Protein is a bigger deal than grandma and grandpa led me to believe. Because I grew up in rural North Carolina, and there we ate corn and rice and uh, mashed potatoes all on the same plate. And some cornbread. Like, like, I didn't know protein was such a big deal. Like, it mattered so much. And believe it or not, 45 pounds later, it was a big deal. And today, I actually want to tie this into you. Many times when it comes to the empty tomb, the resurrection of Jesus, we treat it like that. We're like, yeah, but is it really that big of a deal? I know it's something that churches do once a year and they celebrate this empty tomb, but is it really that big of a deal? If you're like I was before I came to follow Jesus, I didn't really believe in it. It wasn't a big deal to me. Like okay, some myth, some legend, some guy like claimed he got up from the dead and did all this. That's cool. And he's got, he's got a bunch of followers who have churches. That's awesome. So what? And that's how I treated it. And maybe if you're a follower of Jesus today, um, you may fall in the category of sometimes we're chasing other things rather than focusing on the gospel or the resurrection. Do you understand that today, what we celebrate today, if you're a follower of Jesus, is the central point of our faith? Like the resurrection, the empty tomb, this is the key. But we usually relegate the gospel and this to one Sunday once a year. And then the rest of the year, we teach them three ways to overcome fear and, and four ways to climb your mountains. And, and, we, and we end up, you would never say this, right? But you're like, oh, the tomb is empty, so what? Tell me how to, you know, be happy. And that's how we treat it in Christianity. But I'm here to tell you today that the empty tomb is a much bigger deal than you've been led to believe. Like literally, when you say the tomb is empty, so what? There's a lot of what in there. And that's what I want to unpack for you today. And what we're going to do is look at Luke's gospel. Now, I chose Luke for a reason. Um, every you know, gospel has an account of Jesus rising. But Luke is interesting. Here's why. Go ahead and turn to Luke 24.1. Uh, Luke was a doctor in the first century who followed Jesus after Jesus resurrected. Right? So he wasn't one of the original 12 that we know of. He ended up believing and following later on after Christianity was established for, for several years. And here's what Luke did. This is cool. If you read the beginning of Luke's gospel, 
it's kind of arrogant, but like he's a, he's a real, you can tell he's a very detailed guy. He wrote the longest two books of the New Testament. He says, I know other people have written gospel accounts to you. We mean Matthew and Mark, not pointing fingers. Um, uh, John was not yet written yet. He says, but I've come, Theophilus, his friend Theophilus, to tell you and give you an orderly account of everything that had happened. So Luke literally writes this orderly account of research, details, and history. He's like, I know the rest of those guys wrote stuff. It's all good. And they had their perspectives, but I have done research on this. Matter of fact, Luke was such a historian and research fanatic that he wrote the book of Acts too. He's like, we're recording this, we're recording the facts, and we're having this for centuries for people to believe. And he wrote it to a friend named Theophilus. And so what we're going to look at is Luke 24. He's kind of landing the plane of his first book of the two. The second one was Acts. He's landing the plane and he gives the resurrection account. And I want us to read and look at what he writes here. Luke 24 1, uh, he records this. He says, but very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. Again, uh, for, for, uh, for uh, the body that would be stinking. Maybe the Roman soldiers will let them put it on the body. So they go. It says, verse 2, they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And watch this. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes or angels. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? And verse 6 is why we're here today and why we uh, are able to have salvation. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Now like this, remember what he told you back in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and crucified and that he would rise again on the third day and they remembered that he had said this because remember we're going to get into this they didn't understand what Jesus was saying about this whole crucifixion and dying thing and we'll get into it but they're like oh yeah that sermon Jesus preached I remember that oh that's what he meant we were all saying amen but we had no clue what he was talking about now it makes perfect sense crucified rise on the third day now I get it I'll tell you why that matters so much in a few minutes it says this in verse 9 so they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, watch Luke record this, Joanna and Mary the mother of James and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. It was women who first preached the gospel. That's pretty cool. And all the ladies said, yeah, right? But I love verse 11. This is men for you. This is men for you. Ready? Verse 11. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. Now, now you expect them to say, yes, he's risen. Hallelujah. First Easter service. And they're like, these ladies, let's go, let's go find out for ourselves, guys. I'm not sure if I can really trust what these ladies are saying. Let's go, let's go ourselves, right? So, of course, as Luke records, Peter jumped up and ran through the tomb to look. Now, time out for a second. I love when you read the other Gospels together. Because when you read the Gospel of Mark, this is just a side note. Mark records that Peter got there first. Here's why. Most scholars believe that Peter actually helped narrate to Mark what happened because Mark wasn't around when that happened. They believe Peter was the source. And when you look at Mark, you can be like, oh yeah, well there's a lot in there about Peter and Mark, about how, you know, how Peter's this and Peter's that and those things. And then, so Mark records Peter got there first. Luke's like, I don't care if you or John are faster. Doesn't matter. I'm not writing this in here. Like, that's not part of it. But Peter wanted to prove that he was fastest, so Mark recorded that. I thought it was cool um, there. So you all know Peter. Peter. Stooping, he peered and saw the empty linen wrappings, and then he went home again, wondering what 
what had happened. He didn't fall to his knees and had the first church service. He didn't take communion. He didn't do any of that. Literally, when Peter saw this and he heard this, he paused and was wondering, what in the world is going on? Now, for you and I today, as I said earlier, the central idea I want us to take away that they took away was this. The empty tomb of Jesus, write this in your notes, the big idea, is a bigger deal than we've been led to believe. The empty tomb of, Jesus, tomb of Jesus is a bigger deal than we've been led to believe. And if you're a non-believer, it's a huge deal, and I'll explain why. And if you're a believer, it's bigger than what you could realize on just one Sunday that we celebrate a year. For the first century church, here's why it was so important. Here's what was a bigger deal for them. Now, we usually read, you know, the scriptures in American, you know, terms. We don't really think about what they were going through. In that day and time, when Jesus walked the earth and when he was crucified and buried and resurrected, Israel was under captivity to Rome. So Rome ruled the earth. If you study history, first century, Rome ruled. And here's what Israel was waiting for. They were waiting for a king to show up, a Messiah to show up that would come and crush Rome, take out Rome. So all these prophecies in the Old Testament, a king like David, what did David do? David ruled and reigned. David took people out. And they're like, we can't wait. So when Jesus came along the scene, the disciples, the early apostles, they were like, this is it. He's even doing signs, miracles, and wonders. This is the king who's coming to put Israel back on the map. He's going to crush Pilate, crush Herod, crush Caesar, and boom, we're going to rule and reign just like we did in the days of Joshua, just like we did in the days of David, because the prophecies say so. And so last week, last week, one week earlier, you remember they're, they're entering into Jerusalem and they're coming in for Passover and people are throwing in their, you know, the, 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 the palms, Palm Sunday, they're, they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And Jesus is riding on this donkey, which I would have chose a different animal because it would look, if I'm going to be a king, right? <laughs> Maybe an elephant or a lion, but, but like he, he rides in on a donkey and he's coming in and, and they're throwing down. And here's what they're thinking. That's right. Get ready. Get ready, Rome, because we're going to take you out. This is the king we've all been waiting for. And here's his triumphal entry. We know how the story goes. But we do know how the story goes, don't we? The Jews incited Rome and said, this guy claims he's a king. Take him out because he's going to try to take over you guys. And it's going to cause a lot of trouble. So let's go ahead and just, just let's take him out. You know the story of the crucifixion, what happened, the Roman crucifixion. Think about it. When he was on that cross and breathing his last breaths, when he was beaten to a bloody pulp, his disciples sat there and said, oh man, oh no, 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 no. We've been duped. We have been scammed. This is a total sham. This is, this is a sham. Have you ever been shammed, like, like scammed before by somebody? Or like bought a car that wasn't any good? Like, am I the only one? Like I bought a car one time that had been like flooded with water and it was no good and all that. Like, you know how that feels when you realize that you, oh no, I've just been taking advantage of. Here's why. In the first century, messiahs came up all the time. Messiahs popped up all the time claiming that they were a king and they're going to take out Rome. And what did, and what did Rome and what did uh, the Jews do to them? They just killed them. They're gone. So when all this happened, they thought, we'll just we'll take care of Jesus too. And they thought Jesus wouldn't be killed like the rest of these false messiahs. He's the true messiah. And when he went onto that cross, and they brought his body, his dead body down, mutilated, brutally beaten, and they put him in the tomb, all hope had been lost of what they were expecting. So that's why the empty tomb is such a big deal for them. Realize this. Then they show up and are like, holy cow, this guy's he's not here. 
and the Roman soldiers would have been killed by the Roman leaders if they let them go. Something's off. And you know how the story goes. Jesus shows up and presents himself to them. They see him like this, you know, again, and then the revolution starts. I want you to realize what happens here. Here's why it's such a big deal. Because of the empty tomb, a handful of followers of Jesus take down the greatest empire in the world in the first, second, and third centuries. Without a sword, without killing anyone, but being killed. Does that make sense? Like, like, how, do you win a, how do you win against Rome by being killed? Has any war been won by, okay, you're getting all your people killed, and, but you're still going to win. So here's what they did. Jesus rises from the dead. He presents himself to the followers. They believe. And then literally they start, Rome and then the Jews, they start killing Christians. And if you're like, well, I don't know if I believe this whole Jesus. It's kind of a myth or legend. Study history, please. Just please study your history books. Rome and, and Nero. You know what Nero did in the second century of these guys? He put tar on them and set them on fire. That's fun. Sundays, like, you know, we have, we have football, right? Is anybody ready for football season to come around, right? Baseball is such a tease. Come on, y'all. Oh. So, I love baseball. Don't, don't, don't look at me like that. So, so, here's what they did on Sundays. They fed Christians to lions for entertainment, and the stadiums are filled up. Making a mockery of them and their king. Yet... A hundred years later, they take out Rome because Rome says, these guys are so powerful, we need to nationalize this thing or we can't, we can't control it. Let's nationalize. That's what Constantine did and that's when Christianity went through the dark ages. That's when all the bad names of Christianity started happening. They nationalized it. Do you realize what happened? They literally took down the greatest empire of their day because of the empty tomb and being willing to die for Jesus, where before they were like, I want no part of this. Why? Because two people were at the cross. The rest of them fled. It was a big deal for them. It was so because it validated the crazy claims of Jesus. Jesus had crazy claims. You realize that? Like, like, like he claimed that he was God in the flesh and the only way to heaven. In our day and time, that's crazy. He claimed that. And they're like, well, uh, he just proved it. He got up from the dead. He prophesied his own death. And it was actually prophesied thousands of years. Man, this is crazy. It also, look at what it did for them. It was a big deal because it gave them hope in any circumstance that they faced. They were not scared of death anymore. They saw their, their leader, their Messiah, get up from the dead and ascend to heaven. They're like, death can't stop us. Didn't stop him. And took down an empire because they were not scared of death and they preached the gospel boldly. Friends, I want you to realize that the empty tomb of Jesus is a bigger deal than we've all been led to believe. We just chalk it up as some little, maybe it's the, you know, if you're not a believer, a myth or a legend, believers don't really think much about it. It's the greatest event in human history. And so what I want to do today quickly is help you. So for them it meant that, but here's what it means for us today. And I want you to look at this. Why should we make such a big deal of the empty tomb? Why? Here's, here's three things. The first one's this. As I just said for them and for us, it validates the crazy claims of our Lord Jesus. And they're crazy. If you're like, well, I don't know they're crazy. You can't look too hard. Okay, this is crazy. Look at John 2.19. The New Living Translation, he says, he says, All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. So imagine if you're the disciples and you're standing with Jesus and you're at the temple that Herod built for the Jews 
Because Herod built it for them, wanted to appease them, keep things good between them. And so, and again, that's all history. You can study that. And Jesus standing there says, destroy this temple and in three days I'll rebuild it. And they're like, this guy's crazy. You go, you go destroy it and then three days put it back. Imagine if I did this. You should all leave if I ever do this. Burn this church down and in three days I'll raise it back up. Like literally leave during offering time or leave when I, when I heard you we close our eyes to pray, just get out, right? That's crazy. But what Jesus was saying wasn't the physical temple, which he did predict that destruction too, which is amazing in itself. But he actually said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it back up. He was making a crazy claim of being resurrected from the dead. They didn't understand it then, and I told you why earlier, because they were looking for a different king. But listen, he had crazy claims. See, when you look at Jesus, historical Jesus, you can't say he was just a good guy. You can't say he was a good teacher. You can't say he was a prophet. I love people who say, well, you know, I love the teachings of Jesus. Oh, I'm not a Christ follower. I believe all religions are one. And Jesus has pretty teachings. Pretty teachings? He literally taught. He said, I am the only way to heaven. (laughs) What's pretty about that? Right? He made crazy claims. Jesus claimed that he was God in the flesh. The only way to the Father was through him. Those aren't just cute teachings. You're like, like, well, didn't Jesus teach something about cleanliness next to godliness or something? Wasn't that cute? No, he didn't teach that. And that's how we sometimes end up looking at Jesus. Good guy, good prophet, good teacher. No, he was either a liar, a lord, or lunatic. Only a lunatic claims to be God, right? If they're not really God. And that's what he claimed to be. And the resurrection proved that he was God in the flesh come to save mankind. So for us, for us today, why should you make a big deal about it? Because it validates the crazy claims of our Lord Jesus. If you're like me and you have friends that, 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 that don't follow Jesus and are kind of some are even opposed to Jesus and religion, it's scary when you get in that whole religion conversation, right? Somebody say, amen, please help me. Amen. Some of y'all ain't scared at all. Maybe you don't have any friends. But like, if you have friends you like, you're like, man, you know, you, and it feels a little crazy sometimes saying, yeah, uh, um, I believe he's the only way to heaven, yeah. Really? You're crazy. That's crazy. He's crazy. Yeah. And it's validated because not only did he get from the dead, but eyewitnesses, eyewitness evidence saw it and they, they actually wrote about it. And there's more, there's more history than we have about him than other leaders in history. But your teachers at school don't tell you that. The teachers in college don't tell you that. So we actually have more evidence for his resurrection than we do other leaders that, that they put more about. Ugh, I know it's crazy, but I have evidence and it's there. And I'm sorry. Right? It validates it for us. Today, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, the empty tomb validates that he rose from the dead, that he is who he says he is. He is who he said he was then. Here's the next thing that it does. Why should we make such a big deal about the empty tomb? It produces hope in hopeless circumstances. It produces hope in hopeless circumstances. And then now in Acts chapter 7, this is Luke wrote this too. It's like an early history of the, of the church. It's really cool. Uh, if you go read it, when Jesus ascended to heaven and what happened afterwards. Well, he records the first person ever being martyred or killed for their faith. His name was Stephen. And I want you to look what happens with Stephen. There are Jewish leaders standing around Stephen. And Stephen just preached a sermon about Jesus being the only way to heaven. And they got angry. 
angry. It's not really something that's, that, that's, that's accepted when you preach that. And they literally picked up stones to kill him with. So imagine that you're in that situation. Imagine the situation he's in. Acts 7, 54. It says the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation. That was his sermon, right? They called it. They were looking at being accused. Um, that they needed to repent of their sins and follow Jesus. A little crazy. And they shook their fist at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, I love this, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And they killed him with stones as he said that. Now that sounds like a sad story, right? Do you understand that the thing that we're all scared of the most in humanity, maybe you're not, and it's, you know, you're superhuman, is death. You say you're not scared, but the moment somebody gets that bad report, you're, you're nervously asking prayer requests. We're all, we get nervous, we get, we get scared because death is the unknown, right? Stephen didn't seem scared, did he? He didn't seem worried or afraid. He didn't seem hopeless. It wasn't like he was a victim just getting pelted by rocks and this is it. Stephen literally said, man, in the face of death, I can have hope. Looking at death square in the eyes, I can have hope. See, that's the difference between the believer and non-believer. We have hope beyond the grave. And I want you to understand this today. No matter what you face and what I face, we can have hope. And so if death is the thing everybody's scared of the most and, they're, they're, man, and, and everybody understands that's going to happen to all of us and we're all kind of worried about that. If Jesus can overcome that, we can have hope no matter what we face, no matter what the doctor's report says, no matter what your marriage is going through, no matter what your kids are going through, no matter what addiction you're facing, you can have hope. The empty tomb gives us hope in completely hopeless circumstances. Do you know in Acts chapter 7, that's what propelled the gospel? to the other regions of the world. That's why we're here today because of what happened to Stephen. And so friends, I don't know what you're facing today, but I want to encourage you, man. The empty tomb gives you hope. Don't hang your head low. Don't look at those situations feeling like there's no way out. You can literally in faith believe that if God can conquer death, he can conquer anything in your life. And here's finally why we should make a big deal of the empty tomb. Here's why it matters so much. We have the greatest message ever to spread. The greatest message ever. Acts chapter 4 verse 8. It says this. And this is Peter. The guy, you know, you know, cussed out the servant girl. Didn't want to be around Jesus. Denied Jesus. Look what this Peter does. This is crazy. He says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed. Now, if you don't know the story, they, a man was laying at the temple gate. Everybody knew it. They laid hands on him, prayed. He got up. He started walking. The Jewish people were, the leaders were very mad. How did you do this? And they were saying in the name of Jesus. So the leaders call Peter up to them and say, tell us how. He says, verse 10, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is, and he quotes the Jewish law and the prophets, their Old Testament, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. In verse 12, he preaches the sermon here. He says, salvation is found in no one else. 
For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That's a bold message to the people who just killed Jesus. Do you know who he's standing in front of? The same ones who crucified Jesus. You say, so what? Well, here's the deal. He cussed a servant girl out. She said, aren't you from, like, aren't you from Galilee? You had that, you had that accent, like, you from Galilee. Because Galileans had a different accents. They, they, they said, you had different regions. And he says, no, 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 no. I don't sound like, no, no, I'm, I'm not from Galilee. And he began to, Scripture says, curse at the girl. And deny Jesus. when the rooster's crowing three times. Peter fled the, the scene of the cross, did not want to be killed. He did not want to be crucified, refused it. And now the same guy who did that is now standing from the same leader saying, yeah, yeah. I'm preaching the gospel about Jesus and you can kill me too. It's kind of like you know, when I was um, young, we had this thing. We were in a, I was in a very uh, small city. You guys don't know anything about small cities. It's a city of like 3,000. And we had this thing called the turnaround. And we'd just drive in circles. And we'd park in a parking lot, hang out and talk. You might ever heard about stuff like that. I don't know. I'm too big city for this stuff, man. So, so we just ride around in circles around the town. And, we'd, and so this one guy wanted to beat me up. I was 16. Just started driving around town. He was older than I was, about four years older. And my brother was in town that, that day. My brother's 10 years older than I am. My brother's bigger than I am. So the guy was talking some trash. I'm sitting there. He pulls up. And then my brother pulls up. My brother gets out. He starts stuttering. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, no, no, no. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What he said. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Come on. That's what Peter did. He's like, yeah, the guy you killed, now he raised the life, and now you're scared. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't scared anymore. He wasn't scared anymore. That's one of the greatest evidences of the resurrection I've ever seen is a man that would curse out a 12-year-old, and now he's saying, kill me too. And eventually he did give his life for that. Do you understand we have the greatest message ever to spread? They believed it was so great, they would give their life for it. For us... It's sometimes, I said before, feeling awkward around people having to share this message. And yeah, it is sometimes you're around people and they're like, oh yeah, you're there. I mean, let me say that, you know how awkward it is being a pastor? It's awkward being a pastor around people who aren't believers, right? They just start treating you different. Like, I hate being introduced as the pastor. I'm like, no, I'm just a person first. I'm just a human and then I'm a pastor. But it's awkward when you get around people and they find out, oh, you're, so you're a Jesus follower. So you believe all that? You're like... Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I do. But we have the greatest message ever for them. I am thankful that somebody believed that in my life. In 1998, and I've shared this before, I was at East Carolina University in my last semester there because I didn't last long. And I'd smoked a bunch of dope that night, man. I was just, I'd partied hard. I was coughing up stuff in the bathroom that morning. And I thought I was cool, man. I thought I was living life, man. And this young guy... Well, he was young, my same age, younger me now. He walked in. He said, hey, man. He said, you okay? I was like, yeah, I've been parted. I'm cool. He said, hey, you know, man, Jesus loves you, man. He wants to save you. And women, it's awkward for men to even talk in bathrooms. Much less make eye contact. And he did both. And he talked about religion. He could have been bringing up politics too, right? So, uh, so, and he says that to me. And he's like, you know, man, Jesus loves you and can save you. I'm like, oh, man, yeah. He says, I'm going to be praying for you. And I'm going to tell you something. My life literally was transformed from that day. Because when he left, I was like, man, something was real about that. He knew he had the greatest message ever to spread. And he spread it. And it changed my life. This week, 
there are two next steps I want you to take. If you're not a believer and you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm not asking you to go, go sign up the back day and get baptized. That happens in July. <laughs> but here's what I am asking if you're not a believer. I want you to consider the historicity of the resurrection and of Christianity. That it's not some legend or myth or faith. It is literally history that happened and shook the world. I sat one night, two weeks before I got saved, and here's how that happened for me. If you're not a believer, here's what happened. I was sitting in my room doing what I usually do, partying. I was actually by myself, just partying by myself. You know it's bad to do that. 18 years old. And the History Channel showed this thing about the resurrection of Jesus. You know, History Channel does not lean toward Christianity, so it's not like they were... But I sat there that night, and here's what I thought as a non-believer. This actually happened. This is real. Either I'm going to flat out reject it and may have to answer for it, I don't know. Or I need to actually consider it as being history and real. I've got to make a decision. Two weeks later, I darkened the doors of a church for the first time in 15 years and gave my life to Christ. For believers in here, I want to encourage you in this. Don't keep this to yourself. Be actively looking for ways to be Jesus to people in action and share the message of Jesus to them when you leave here. The women saw the empty tomb and they didn't go have a prayer meeting. They didn't go hang out in the back room. They went and told people. The disciples, when they found out he had risen, they went and told people. So this week, let me encourage you in that. Leave with the greatest message of ever. The greatest message ever is the message of Jesus. The message of the resurrection. The message of the gospel. Amen. I want to pray today. And what I want to do is, is as we begin to pray, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, or maybe you've walked away from Jesus, and you want to renew your commitment, when I begin to pray, I'm going to kind of lead you in a prayer that you can do that. And then I want to pray for all of us before we head out to our family functions. Let's pray together. And if you want to give your life to Christ or renew your life to Christ, say, just, just pray this with me today. And you say, God, I admit that I am a sinner. I admit that I cannot save myself through my works and my goodness. But I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe he died on the cross. And I believe he rose again on the third day to save me from my sins. Today, I give my life to Jesus. Today, I receive forgiveness of sins and I commit to live for Jesus. In your name I pray. And for the rest of us in here, let's pray together before we leave and head out to our family functions. I just want to pray with you and for you. Father, I pray for every person in here today. God, I pray that today, Lord, that the scriptures... That the truth of the scriptures would impact every heart in here. I pray, Father, for boldness and courage, just like Peter had, Lord, when he stood up in front of those Jewish leaders, that we would have that in love with people, in a loving way to share the gospel with them. I pray, Lord, that we would leave understanding how big the resurrection actually is and was. Father, bless every family, every person as they're going to gather with their families, as they travel. And I pray, God, that as we leave here, we would honor you by lifting up Jesus everywhere that we go. God, it's in your awesome son's name, Jesus, that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. If you will, turn your attention to the screen.